We're in a series uh, entitled Rhythms of Grace, and it's based out of, do I need to change mics? This is, do you want me to take a hand mic? If we can do that, we've had a few little challenges. Thank you. Is that a little bit better? I think so. Um, like I said, we're in a series entitled The Rhythms of Grace, and it's based uh, in part, or a lot, on our key verse and theme for the year. And the key verse is from Mark's Gospel, chapter 3, that Jesus went up a mountainside and called to him those he wanted, and they came to him. We see that invitation to be with Jesus and the response of the disciples, including climbing a mountain, making some effort to be there. And he appointed them that they might be with him in order for them to be sent out with authority. And from that, our key theme is knowing Christ, growing in Christ, and then being sent out by him or being sown into uh, the various places in life and various opportunities that God has for us. And the rhythms of grace is actually a way of addressing what are called spiritual disciplines. And we take the thing from Matthew 11, where Jesus says, if you're tired, if you're weary, come to me. And Eugene Peterson says, and learn the unforced rhythms of grace. So whatever we talk about when it comes to spiritual disciplines, we're not talking about legalism. Spiritual disciplines are life-giving habits that train us in godliness. I want you to catch that. Life-giving habits that train us in godliness. Paul, speaking to Timothy, says this, exercise daily in God, no spiritual flabbiness, please. And that's obviously a paraphrase from the message, but I like that, to train yourself in godliness. It's not earning merits, it's just putting yourself in a place. This is what a spiritual discipline is. Is putting is something that we do that positions us and puts us in a place where God, by His grace, can do something in us. And we're looking at a second of the inward disciplines. The first was dealing with the Word of God, meditating on the Word of God. And we're going to look at silence, solitude, and I don't have time this morning, but this is connected to deal with meditation. When we were planning the series, Linda sent out all the titles or the topics, and she said, silence, solitude, and medication. And so that may be appropriate as well, but we're going to look mainly at silence and solitude because it leads into worship, meditation, and just waiting on God. I've subtitled this, Take a Break from the Chaos. In a book, Finding Focus in a Whirlwind World, got to say that carefully, Finding Focus in a Whirlwind World, Jean Fleming says this, we live in a noisy, busy world. We have become a people with an aversion to quiet and an uneasiness with being alone. And if we are alone, there's this constant need to connect and through Instagram, Twitter, and all the different things that want to be engaged. And all of those things are good if they serve us, but if they master us, then it's not a good thing. And busyness is not a status symbol. You know, sometimes, and I got caught in this many years ago, and it stuck with me. Somebody asked me how I was going, and I said, I'm busy. And they said to me, that's not a status symbol. 
And sometimes we use it inadvertently. I'm busy. Yeah, my life's full, but busyness is something that goes beyond that. It almost describes something that's frenetic, something that is a little bit out of control. I'm busy. God speaks to His people through the prophet Isaiah, Isaiah 30 and verse 15. This is what the sovereign Lord, the Holy One of Israel says, in repentance and rest is your salvation. In quietness and trust is your strength, but you would have none of it. I want you to just catch that God is pleading with His people. Would you just slow down? Would you just find some solitude, some silence to be in my presence? Would you find a place of rest instead of a place of rushing? And I know many of us have a lot of demands that are external to us, to workplace, to family, other things. And this is easier said than done. But there is still a way of finding places of rest in the presence of God. Finding places where there is quietness that does something to restore your soul because it's in quietness and trust that you find strength. But in that instance, the people of God said, no, we're going to do it a different way. We know better. And I guess as we launch into this message this morning, we need to acknowledge, and maybe you the exception, But I think for most of us, we need to acknowledge that we are actually addicted to noise and busyness. I wonder how many people, you don't have to show a hand and it's not a judgment, that even when you're in the house, you need some kind of background noise. Others are going, no, I just want silence and the sooner my husband leaves the house, the better for me as well. We won't go there. We're not getting into marriage this morning or marriage counselling. But sometimes that sense of busyness, as I said when I was asked how you were doing, I said, I'm busy. It affirms our sense of importance, that somehow or other we're indispensable to, because of all the tasks, the things that we're doing. And it feeds something within us that, that is good in one way, but when it gets out of control, becomes bad. And that's the need to be needed. God put that in us in order for us to connect, to belong, to achieve things. But sometimes that monster of needing to be needed gets so strong that we end up saying yes to things. And for some, you don't know how to say no to things because of this need to be needed, to be significant. And we see Jesus didn't allow those things or that desire to control him. So one of the most compelling reasons for us to prioritise silence and solitude somewhere in our day, somewhere in our week, somewhere in our life is because Jesus practised it. While he was in Capernaum, when he had gone to the, the, the synagogue there, ministered there, came back to Peter, mother-in-law's house, healed her, and word got out that there was a meeting there. And people rushed to the house, and he ministered for a long time, and people ripping off the roof, all sorts of things going on. It was so frenetic, people trying to get to him. And Jesus responded, meeting people's needs. In fact, it says the whole city gathered at the home and Jesus ministered to them. 
But look at his response. Look at how he deals with that pressure, that demand. And he responded to it. He held people. It says, very early in the morning, this is Mark's gospel, very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. I don't like aspects of that verse. I don't mind going to the solitary place. I like my alone time. I like just sometimes chilling out, having nothing else going on or anybody else talking. I don't like the early. But in this instance, very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house and went to a solitary place where he prayed. After feeding and ministering to the 5,000, Jesus sent the multitudes and his disciples away so he could have some alone time with the Father. Let's just read it again in Mark's Gospel, or Matthew's Gospel 14.22. Immediately, Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go ahead of him to the other side while he dismissed the crowd. And after he had dismissed them, he went up on a mountainside by himself to pray. And later that night, he was there alone. So you can see Jesus practicing the spiritual discipline of silence and solitude, of getting alone with God. And in this, he prayed, but prayer is not always talking to God. It's sometimes just sitting quietly and allowing him to talk to you. It's sometimes just sitting there in his presence and honoring his presence. You see, we're humans, we're not machines. We are made for the rhythms of silence and activity. Silence and noise. We're made for the rhythms of community, but also the need for solitude. And all those who are introverts are going, yes, yes, preach it, and please tell other people in my life about how important this is. And those of you extroverts, no, I need more people in my life. And for all of us, we need to find that balance of silence and solitude, engagement, community and activity. It's not either or. It's finding the balance and putting yourself in a place where you can actually learn to hear the voice of God. Psalm 46 and verse 10 says, Be still and know that I am God. Be still and know that I'm God. And the amazing thing, I was just reflecting on this. I, there used to be a chorus. I'm not going to launch out into it. Be still and know that I'm God. And we would sing it and then rush on to the next chorus. We never actually obeyed it. Be still and know that I'm God. I love the way the Passion um, Translation puts it. Surrender your anxiety. Be silent and stop striving and you will see that I am God. And I wonder how many of us are just caught up with a sense of constant anxiety, a kind of knot in the stomach that, oh, I've got to be here. I've forgot that. I've got to do that. And again, I understand the enormous pressures that people in our society face to be busy, to be doing or to be seen to be doing. But God is saying, you need to slow down. 
You need to be still and know that I'm God. You need to deal with that anxiety, not by medication, but meditation, of that finding that space and place in the presence of God. I want to outline briefly a number of things that the Bible says silence and solitude do in our lives in terms of our relationship with God. Silence and solitude can help us seek God's presence. In Exodus chapter 33 and verse 7, it says, Now Moses used to take a tent and pitch it outside the camp some distance away. And the amazing thing, I've been on a trip to Israel and been down in those deserts and walked away from the camp, not so I got lost. And you just sit there. It was around sunset and the quietness out in the desert. And I'm sure anybody who's experienced something similar in Australia, the quietness is astonishing. And it's no accident, I would suggest to you, that the three monotheistic faiths of the world, and I'm not putting them on an equal footing, are all shaped and formed in the desert. And when you look at Israel's history, it was the northern tribes in the most fertile, busiest part of Israel that backslid first, always distracted, easily distracted. And it was in the desert regions that they clung to God more. The sense of there being one God and in the quietness of the desert, sensing His presence. Not recommending we all pack up and flee out to the desert. But it's that whole principle. And so Moses took this tent, pitched it from the main camp at quite a distance where the noise of the camp, the activities of the camp wouldn't be heard, calling it the tent of meeting, the place where you can meet God more profoundly. And understand, this is not the tabernacle where there are sacrifices. This is not about sacrifice. This is about God's presence. And anyone inquiring of the Lord would go to the tent of meeting outside the camp. This is a place to encounter God and to learn to hear His voice. And in that place, a little bit late in this passage, Moses is there and he has a conversation with God and God's saying it's time to move to the next place. And he says, if you don't go with us, I'm not going, we're not going. And the Lord replied, my presence will go with you and I will give you rest. Then Moses said to him, if your presence doesn't go up with us, do not send us up from here. I want you to notice that the Lord said, my presence will go with you and I will give you rest. The, the phrase my presence literally can be translated, my face will go with you. And it, 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 it's an image, it's a picture, that whole thing, if you will be able to behold me, you will be able to know me, you can get into my presence. Remember Moses was one that saw God face to face and lived. And we get that invitation to see God face to face, 2 Corinthians chapter 3. You can read it for yourself. But the second thing that I want you to notice is that those two words, presence and rest. My presence will go with you and I will give you rest. My presence will give you rest. 
My presence will help deal with the anxiety. My presence will do something within you as you just wait quietly in my presence. After an extraordinary victory over the prophets of Baal, Elijah finds himself, after being threatened by Jezebel, exhausted, discouraged, fearful, and he flees to Horeb, the mountain of God, and ends up hiding in a cave on its summit. It's quite ironic and yet very accurate that it's after this extraordinary victory, this extraordinary exercise of faith where he confronts the prophets of Baal and God answers with fire. And it's an extraordinary victory. It's astonishing how dramatic it is. But even that act drained him, made him vulnerable, so that when Jezebel threatens him, he's got no defences. He's exhausted. He's discouraged that she didn't repent. He feels like it didn't all work like it should have. No, despite the fact that the rest of the nation turned around to follow the Lord. And so he's hiding in the cave and God comes to him and says, what are you doing here? And we pick up the reading, 1 Kings 19, 11. And the Lord said to him, go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord. For the Lord is about to pass by. Go stand, get out of your cave, but go stand on the mountain. It, this, the Mount Horeb is again is in a desert region. There's quietness, there's solitude. He says, go stand there because I'm about to present myself to you. And God does a strange thing. It says, then there was a great and powerful wind that tore the mountains apart, shattering the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, there was an earthquake. But the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake came a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire came a gentle whisper. And I wonder if God is not trying to illustrate something not only to Elijah, but knowing that we would read that story. And it's not in the sensational, it's not in the activity that God is present. Doesn't abandon you, I, I, I'm making a point here, but it's in terms, I'm talking about God being present in terms of encounter. It's in the quietness. It's in the ability to hear God's whisper. Somebody said the devil shouts, but God whispers. The devil shouts condemnation, that you're not good enough, that you'll never make it, that you won't get out of this circumstance, that it's too much, there's no way forward. All those things that he loves to yell, but God whispers when you stand in a place or sit in a place of silence and solitude. The Apostle Paul, after his conversion, went to the desert of Arabia to be alone with God. Listen to what he says in Galatians 1 and verse 17. I chose not to run to Jerusalem to try to impress those who'd become apostles before me. And it's almost like he's acknowledging there was something in me that wanted to go, I found Jesus. I had this dramatic encounter on the Damascus Road. I, Jesus spoke to me personally. 
It's almost like there's something in him that wants to do that, but he chooses not to. He says, instead, I went into the Arabian desert for a season until I returned to Damascus where I first encountered Jesus. And I think it's about five years that he spends in the Arabian desert where things are shaped and formed in his life. That encounter he had with Jesus becomes more real as he understands some of the things that Jesus said to him. So it's in silence and solitude that helps us to actually encounter the presence of God, the presence of Jesus. Silence is also, secondly, an expression of worship to God. And worship does not always require words and sounds and actions. And again, without being sidetracked, the Bible tells us to clap, to shout, to sing, to give thanks. So there is activity involved in praise and worship. But one of the activities is also learning to be still, to be quiet, to find some solitude. Sometimes worship is nothing more than a God-focused stillness and silence. Silence that calls us out from the busyness of the world and almost acts as a threshold into the holy space of worship. As a chaos was about to be unleashed on the nation of Israel, God says to Habakkuk, Habakkuk 2 and verse 20, God is in his holy temple. Quiet everybody. A holy silence. A holy silence. Sometimes worship is a little is little more than the ability to catch one's breath and wait and see what God wants to say or do. Zechariah says, be silent before the Lord, all flesh. He's about to spring into action from his holy dwelling. Isn't that a great statement? Just be silent. You're struggling. You don't know what to do. Be silent before the Lord. He's in his holy temple and he's about to spring into action on your behalf. So it's a wonderful expression of worship, along with the singing, the clapping, the shouting, the dancing before the Lord, all the other expressions we find in Psalms. Thirdly, that silence and solitude is a way of expressing your faith, your trust in God. And it's good to pray. We're invited to pray, to talk to God. And we see a David at times even rants he just rants about what God is or isn't doing in his life and what his enemy is doing and all the rest of it. But David also knew how to practice this discipline of this rhythm of grace, of silence, of solitude. And instead of coming to the Lord always with fretty words, silence sometimes, the waiting on him, just demonstrates, God, I don't have much to say. In fact, Sometimes I'm lost for words. I don't know how to put this prayer into words and frame it. I don't know how to pray accurately or rightly in this situation. And we should never get too obsessed about trying to find the perfect prayer because God hears our heart and He loves to hear from us. But sometimes the best thing is, God, 
got nothing to say, but I trust you. I love this picture in Psalm 130 verse 131 verse 2, where David says, I've calmed and quieted myself. I'm like a weaned child with its mother. Like a weaned child, I'm content. And the picture is dramatic because while a child is still being breastfed, when it's time to feed when it's time and the child is hungry. The mother comes near, smells the milk and it, some kids get really frantic like they've never ever been fed before. But when they weaned, the child just rests. And it's an incredible picture. God, I'm not coming. I don't, I'm like, yeah, God, God, God. I'm just here because I wanna be with you. I, I want the warmth of your embrace. And I've just quietened my soul so I can be in your presence. Psalm 62 just captures this thing of trust. For God alone, O my soul, wait in silence. For my hope is in Him. He only is my rock and my salvation, my fortress. I shall not be shaken. For God alone, oh my soul, wait in silence. And again, I'm not discouraging us for using words and talking to God or even like David venting at times and just letting it spill and being honest with God. But this rhythm of grace that says, I'll just be still and know that you are God. Oh my soul, Wait in silence because my hope's in Him. My trust is in Him. And so silence helps us seek God's presence. Silence is an expression of worship along with all the other things we can do as expressions of worship. Silence expresses our faith, our, our trust in God. But silence and solitude, if we can find space and time to quiet our soul, also allows us to be refreshed and restored in God's presence. Mark 6 and verse 31, again, drawing something from the behaviour of Jesus with His disciples in what had been another frantic ministry time. Then because so many people were coming and going, and they did not even have a chance to eat. I'm just going to pause there for a moment. And again, this is not judgment. This is not condemnation. But I wonder how many just in this auditorium, watching online, in this last week, this last month, have found yourself in a place where you're so busy that you missed meals. Not because you were fasting. You just didn't have time to stop. And it's not condemnation. I'm just saying Jesus and his disciples found themselves in that place. So how does Jesus respond to them? He doesn't rebuke them. He doesn't condemn them. He actually creates space for them. He said to them, come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. 
come with me to a quiet place and get some rest. Jesus' response to this frantic season day that they'd had was to say, you need to now step out of that and be still. You need to recuperate. Because Jesus knew of their human frailty. And He knows of our frailty. One of the verses I love in the Psalms, He knows that we are but made of dust. We, we often put more pressure on ourselves and greater expectations than God does. There's only so much we can do physically and spiritually, and then we need rest for our bodies and refreshment for our souls. Silence is also a way of seeking the Lord's deliverance or salvation. In the book of Lamentations, and the context of this is the nation has been taken into captivity. There's devastation everywhere. And Jeremiah writes this book of lament, the book of Lamentations. And while it's a dark book in some ways, because it describes all the pain, all the horror, all the reaction because of what's gone on, there are these gems that are shining lights in the midst of the, the pain, the darkness, the frustration. And in Lamentations 3 and verse 25, the Lord is good to those who hope in Him, to the one who seeks Him. It is good to wait patiently for the salvation of the Lord. Let him sit alone in silence. I want you to notice his play on what is good. He says, even in the pain, even in the darkness, even in the chaos, God is still good. And I believe there's people here this morning, they need to hear that. You're struggling with something and you're wondering, is God really good? And God is always good, despite the circumstances. So Jeremiah reaffirms that or affirms that. No matter what chaos is going on in my world, God is good. Always God is good. But then the other good is, it's good for you and I to step aside and wait in silence. That's also good. God's good and it's good to find some place of solitude and silence. This silence is a silence of expectation, of looking to God. And these verses transform silence as being a posture of defeat into one of expecting to be delivered. It's in the silence this transformation takes place from what Jeremiah maybe initially kind of sits with his head in his hands, despondent, shattered by what's going on. And as he waits, what starts off as despondent becomes expectation because of the presence of the Lord. He's waiting on the Lord. There's only another 10 to go, no, just two more quickly. And honestly, I'm touching on this so briefly. Silence and solitude is also a way of seeking the will of God. And that's a whole topic in itself, but this is one aspect by which we can seek the will of God. 
It's in silence and solitude we learn to discern God's voice. It was in the quiet of the night that Samuel the prophet had to learn to hear God's voice. In Luke 6 and verse 12 and 13, it says, One of those days, Jesus went out to a mountain to pray and spent the night praying alone. It's inferred in it that he's by himself. And when morning came, he called his disciples to him and chose 12 of them. There were multitudes following him at this time. And he's going saying, Father, who are the 12 that you want me to select? And so he spends some time alone in the presence of his father and comes back with confidence. I know who to choose. And the final thing is silence allows God to do something in your heart and life, to do work in you. When Solomon's temple was erected, 1 Kings 6 and 7 says this, the building site itself was reverently quiet. No noise from hammers and chisels and other iron tools. Can you imagine this? Solomon's temple, there's still remnants of Herod's temple and behind that bits of Solomon, but Solomon's temple was more glorious. Enormous amount of stonework and quarrying. In fact, you can go to Jerusalem and you can go into these massive, what are now like caves where they cut the stone out and brought it. And the sum of the stones are enormous. The size of that back wall or that wall, uh, they're that big. But all the quarrying, all the chiseling to allow these stones to fit together perfectly was done off-site. It's an extraordinary thing. This massive building going up. I don't know if you've ever been to a building inside a large one. The noise is constant of metal and all sorts of things going on. And God said, no, you're not going to build it that way. There's going to be a reverent silence in the building. And I want to draw that principle because in 1 Corinthians 6 and verse 19, the scripture says, you and I are the temple of the Holy Spirit. And I wonder how much building goes on in our lives when we learn just to be still in the presence of God. That, yeah, there are things we can do and should do as followers of Jesus. We're not going to extremes here. But maybe some of the deepest things, some of the most significant things that God can do in our lives by His Spirit is when there's no noise of stone, of hammer, of chisel. But the Holy Spirit just breathes on us. That's something deep inside. We know human words, human activity can achieve. But because we gave space to the Spirit of God, He can do something. And the fuller and busier our lives are, the more hectic our world, the more we need to plan, if we can, daily 
spaces of silence and solitude. And there are some days the reality is it's just not gonna happen, is it? So again, this is not about guilt, about condemnation, but to say that somewhere in this week, and if possible, somewhere in this day, I just need to find some space. And there's a number of things that can be done. I'm not gonna go into suggestions now. You need to find something that works for you. Perhaps it is just sitting on a mountainside or a hillside somewhere. Sitting near a pond. Sitting in a room where the door's shut and yeah, you might have talked to God, you might have read, but now you're just going to take a few moments. Maybe, and I find this works for me sometimes, is just walking. And I've said before, sometimes I'm listening to something, an audible book or worship or something. Sometimes if I'm with Linda, I'm listening to her. But if I'm by myself, just let your thoughts go. And we get distracted and then we feel apologetic. But God says, no, just come back. You came back. 